Mr. A here, saying, how y'all doing? Yo! Are you ready to rumble? Or should I say tumble? Cause I don't stumble or bumble like a Craig O'Brien combo. Standing on the ground, black feet first. And I'm going to trust. And I'm doing it on my toes. Welcome to the Rumble. We are back at Better Than Ever, helping you stay ready so you don't have to get ready. We don't want you sucker punch, so we're here each and every week helping you keep your guard up. I am Jeremy Lavelle with Remedy Claims Consulting at Claims Coach on Instagram and on TikTok. They just called me the mouth of the South. And alongside of me once again, definitely back and better than ever, is the one, the only, the beast of the East himself, Mr. Brent Hooper of Max Claims Solutions. And as always, the tantalizingly terrific, the tenaciously tactful, the one, the only, Miss Baby Kate Donna How's everybody doing today? Welcome back, Brent. I'm stoked that you're here, man. Likewise, brother. Likewise. I'm so happy to see you both. It's awesome. Man, I, <laughs> Brent and I were talking a little bit before the show began, and uh, it was funny because what I kind of sent him the topics over, I hadn't quite really thought it out and said it out loud yet, and he totally picked it up. So sometimes it's like putting on a glove, you know what I mean? One <laughs> or an old shoe, it's just really comfortable. He totally got what I was saying, and so I'm excited about the show. But first, do you have any fun facts, baby cakes? I do. Hello, boys and girls. How you doing? <laughs> um, I have fun, fun facts with baby cakes is brought to you by Inc. The best way to get paid after a property claim. Inc. Save time, get paid. Um, did you guys know that there is only one letter that doesn't appear in any of the state's names? One letter. It's uh, got to be Z. Arizona. Arizona, no, nope, it's not Z then. Nope. Oh. Is it E? No. <laughs> <laughs> it's in Texas. <laughs> it's Q. Q. Okay. Uh. Canada can't say that. Nope. Um, also, you cannot hum with your nose closed. You can't. Well, yeah, because you got to have air passing out. Um. <laughs> <laughs> He's trying to. <laughs> <laughs> No, I can't. just sound like I'm struggling. <laughs> <laughs> struggling for air. You also can't lick your elbow. I uh, knew that. Uh, did you try? Your... You tried it? I have tried it on multiple <laughs> occasions. <laughs> you can't stick it in your ear either. Sorry, boys and girls. So, you are not getting any of those brain cells back. <laughs> <laughs> um, one last one. Did you know that all of the clocks in Pulp Fiction are set to 420? Is that a fact? I had not noticed It is that. a fact. So your wow. homework assignment tonight is to watch Pulp Fiction. Oh, I'm looking forward to that homework. Nice. I, I am. So now you know and knowing is half the bullshit. There we go and knowing's half the bullshit. Guys, we have got an outstanding show. I cannot wait to get into this. This is actually something... Um, while Brent has not been on the Rumble for the past few months, it does not mean that Brent and I have not been talking a lot. And this is something that we have sort of unpacked over the last four or five months or so. And I am telling you that um, I believe that it's got some some real revel, uh, relevance to kind of how we're handling claims. And I think it speaks directly to the um, to the way claims are being handled by the carrier these days and sort of how the ground has shifted sort of beneath our feet 
in the day-to-day handling of the claims. But I do want to remind you that the claim that this discussion is going to come to you in three separate rounds. When you hear this sound, you know that the round has begun. And when you hear this sound, you know that the round is over. Now, to remind you, it is not a debate show. It's not Brent and I that are rumbling. We're merely commentating on the action that is going on that you are involved in on a day-to-day basis. So get your gloves up because here we go. And round one starts right after this. Public adjusters, listen up. It's Jeremy Lavelle, owner of Remedy Claims Consulting, host of the Rumble, and most importantly, your claims coach. Public adjuster training is one of the hardest things to find. Sure, you can take some online seminars, you can show up to conferences, but none of them tailor training just for you until now. Whether you need to learn how to estimate, scope, negotiate, or prospect, I can help you drill down on the skills you want to develop. Maybe you're just starting out and you need to learn the claims process from a to Z, or you're just wanting to help are you just wanting help on strategy on a specific claim? I can help you find the traction you were looking for and learn how to truly control the narrative in the ever-changing world of claims. You can reach out to me directly at 888-596-8772, or you can find me on the web at remedyclaims.com and just click Get Started. That's 888-596-8772 or remedyclaims.com and click Get Started. You can even shoot me an email at jeremy at remedyclaims.com. That's J-E-R-O-M-Y at remedyclaims.com. It's time to move your career to the next level. Round one, investigation and documentation. So I really want to set the show up a little bit before we get into this first round. The, what it's really about is we're going to be focusing heavily on the duties after a loss and what they absolutely require for us to submit a claim and what's required with a claim. And the idea here is, is to stop playing the carrier's game. I think that there is a lot of misconstrued information on what the protocols are and what we're supposed to do from a claim standpoint and what we're supposed to do as public adjusters or even contractors are involved in this. And I think that that's one of the things that I want to get into basically when it comes to this first round, which is the investigation and documentation. Now, um, for those of you playing along at home, I am going to go over quickly the duties after a loss so that we're clear on the things that we are supposed to do. So if you will all indulge me momentarily while I discuss these things, I am actually going to read from you a policy that's a very popular policy. This is duties after the loss. You know, everybody knows that you've got to give them prompt notice. Everybody knows that you have to call the police in the case of theft or vandalism. Everybody knows that you have to, um, you know, again, mitigate from further damage. You it'll say that you must make a um, list of damaged property. There are all of these things. And then it gets into the proof of loss. It gets into the proof of loss and the things that are listed in the proof of loss which is the amount of ownership that's in there. They want you to get contractors, estimates, and bids. They want you to um, provide them with a list of uh, a list of damaged personal property along with um, the cost of those items. And they also want you to depreciate the replacement cost value of those items. And then they want you to declare the amount of ownership. There's a lot of different things that go into it. 
And that's really kind of what I want to get into right now is basically what is required out of us when it comes to the duties after a loss and versus what are we actually doing now i'm going to kind of go into what i provide i try to hit them with as much information as i possibly can straight out of the gate or at least that's been my habit in the past brent what is sort of your go-to process um when you're when you would when you've been submitting a loss kind of what's your what's your plan there Depends on when I get the loss <clears throat> or rather when I sign it, you know, if I sign it from the beginning, then. Well, often, in, let, yeah, that, which is not as common, but yeah. right. I mean, but when you, you know, do, go ahead, you know, 10, 10, 15% of our claims we get at the beginning. So from the beginning we got, we investigate the loss document, anything and every, everything that we believe to be relevant. You know, we have forms that we fill out and all these types of things. So that way we don't, we don't miss anything in the heat of the moment, if you will. But beyond that, the other 85, 90% of our claims, you know, were the third, fourth, fifth or 20th phone call. And so from there, it kind of, it, my answer is sort of the same. It depends on the body of evidence that's readily available. You know, and sometimes that evidence comes from contractors, homeowners, mitigation contractors, other reports, engineer, hygienists, whatever. <clears throat> so usually at the beginning of the claim, what I'm doing is cross-referencing everything, connecting as many dots as I can to ultimately rewrite the narrative. And then I will turn in all relevant documentation to the loss that, that you know, supports the, the fact pattern that we're trying to. We're trying to prove. Um, I think to answer your question really directly, though, is that, yeah, when I when I get involved, when I get all my documentation in front of me, regardless of how I, I get my documentation or where I get it, um, I put it all together and I submit it. And it's basically like, I don't care what happened in the past. This is what I'm telling you now. This is what we're claiming. This is what should have been claimed. I don't care about all the hearsay or, you know the lefts and rights and ups and downs. This is, this is what we're claiming and we're demanding payment. And if you're not going to pay, then you need to tell us why. So that's kind of from 150,000 feet. That's, that's kind of what I do. So I, I Brent basically have been exactly, I've done exactly the same thing um, on nearly every claim I've ever handled ever. Do you know what I'm saying? I That is sort of what I would do is I would go out, I would investigate, I would Matterport, I would photograph, I would do everything. I would try to draw in some sort of, I would try to draw some sort of hypothesis as to what would happen. Sometimes it was completely and totally evident. Sometimes it was really easy to see what happened. The reason that the left elevation is caved in might have something to do with the large freaking tree that's laying on top of it. So sometimes it's really common and evident. Sometimes it requires a little bit of connecting of the dots. You know, it just depends on the nature of the laws because sometimes I can see that the house has water damage and sometimes I can see I can't see where that water damage is coming from. And so it requires kind of kind of chasing some of that stuff down. But I would go in and try to determine that mainly because I was I was trying to assert sort of, you know, the the trail of events that led to the causation of the damage. And all of that is right. 
What I am suggesting is, is that there is a lot of investigation and documentation that we're doing that alleviates the, um, the carrier from conducting their own investigation. And so I think one of the ways that we get them to investigate is quit providing them with our investigation sort of on the upfront. And we simply provide them with what's required under the duties after a loss when it comes to that investigation. And right now that is basically just saying, Hey, we've got a claim. We've got hail damage. Um, here is the information on this date, which may be a weather report. You can see here at this address, that we're confirming that these things have happened. We've talked with a contractor. The contractor has provided this $60,000 bid to cover the damages of it. Here is his estimate. Um, and here is all of the things that we've got, because there's one thing that I don't find in any duty after a loss. And that's basically photographs, you know, and I have learned this and there are other areas. Now I'm not saying don't take photographs by any stretch of the imagination. I think you should do your due diligence and take the photographs, but I also believe that the damage should be demonstrated. And I am not aware of too many opportunities when, when um, you file a claim that, uh, that the carrier is not going to come out. In fact, that's only happened to me once where where the carrier has not come out and so i want to be clear about that because 99 percent of the time the carrier is going to come out and conduct an investigation and that's really and truly your opportunity to demonstrate the damage to that to that field adjuster or that independent adjuster that comes out to show them what it is that you're claiming and i think and and you need to have those pictures that you've taken at the ready to basically expose what it was that you tried to demonstrate to him. Now, this is this is some pretty drastic new thinking that a lot of people are probably going to disagree with me on. And I'm not real sure how I feel about it. I will tell you that I have not tested this, but there are a lot of it. There's a lot of investigating that we're incurring the cost on that quite honestly should be paid for by the carrier when it comes to them investigating the claim. Those are just my thoughts. So I want to, I want to weigh in on a, on a couple different areas of that. First of all, I want to very much say you need to take pictures. <laughs> just In place, take no one here. Yeah. Say you don't think you take, yeah. Cause you need to take pictures for sure. You need, you to, need to conduct a full investigation without of, a doubt of everything. Um, now, with that being said, I don't know if Jeremy, I don't know if I'm, I'm ready to go down the rabbit hole of claiming that my investigation should be paid for by the carrier. Um, that seems like a, a, a fruitless theoretical debate. But what I will say is that there are all sorts of ancillary tools that we all use, whether you're a contractor, PA, doesn't matter, ancillary tools that we use in our investigation that I do believe should be paid for that aren't that is a public adjuster. I, I bill right. for whether it's an Eagle view or whatever, or an I tell report or the expert reports, or, you know, you right on down the line, all of those ancillary sort of transactional expenses that we all incur. Well, they should be paid for. 
So in a way, I kind of said, I don't want to go down that rabbit hole. But in the same breath, I said, there's a whole bunch of other shit that expenses that we all eat every day, claim in and claim out that 1000% should not be cost incurred by us. Or, I mean, you know, by us homeowner, it's, it's, it is what it is, but they're not getting reimbursed is my point. And the, and I believe that they should be. Well, let me, I, and, and, and understand this is coming out of some, of uh, some experience that I've had, you know, in the recent past. And I'm going to refer to a claim that I have referred to no less than a thousand times um, throughout the show, though I'm not going to bring up specifically the, the, the insured's name, or, and I'm not going to bring up the, the carrier, but I'm going to tell you that I had to go through a pretty extensive investigation and I've actually worked two claims for this gentleman. The first claim did not, while we ended up getting to policy limits, we should have gotten there a lot quicker than we did. And uh, basically we, we fulfilled the duties after a loss. And then they, they were, they were requiring all of this extra information um, like from a diagnostic standpoint. And uh, we ended up paying for the cost of the diagnostics on the second claim. And it came out of his coverage and in the duties after a loss, the one thing that is certainly not there is the cost of diagnostics. That's part of their investigation. And I guess what I am trying to drill down on is that the carrier has the burden of the cost of the investigation. What we are to give and report is clearly clearly outlined within the duties after a loss. Now, I'm not saying that's not going to come with some costs or some associated costs or whatever, but it is very clear the information that we're required to provide. And as long as there is plausible def there's plausible documentation and there's plausible causation there. For example, if you're writing a claim on hail damage and we can prove that there was hail on that date with a, at that address, then the damage that we're presenting is likely due to that storm, you know, and, and they have to go conduct the investigation whether it's a qualified person to determine whether or not the hail that we're presenting is damaged, but they, it is on them basically to refute the proof that we're providing. Well, I think, I think that there's, I'm sorry to cut you off, Jeremy. I think that there's a, no, you're good. This is, this is like a, this is a really ignorant can of worms here because there's a lot of different things at play when it comes to like diagnostics or Something as similar or as simple as a measurement report. The industry trend is that a, a you know a contractor or whoever will show up and they send people out to perform these services to investigate the claim for the homeowner, whether it's Order and Eagle View or they have someone in their staff that runs a Matterport or whatever. Right? <clears throat> these are all costs incurred. These are all things that. Without the presence of a contractor, apparently, the homeowner would be responsible for, right? And the rub is you've got all these incurred costs, whether it be by the homeowner or the contractor, however you want to look at that, versus what is owed for and what coverage does that expense come out of? I don't necessarily know the answer because I haven't seen any consistency in it. 
These questions become critically important when you're talking about a claim that's running up against policy limits. By and large, most of the claims that we public adjusters see every day aren't claims that are at or exceeding policy limits, right? So if they want to throw it under coverage A, then then I almost said the F word, baby cakes, you're welcome. It's one last edit. Um, Thank you. But that's where this stuff becomes even more vital. When you have a, a catastrophic loss and you have all these specialists and you have all these experts and these reports and, and things like that, and you ring up tens of thousands of dollars worth of expert investigations, if you will, and the carrier doesn't want to pay for any of it, right? So, sorry, again, I kind of hijacked your thought a little bit, but it's like, you can go you can go to one end of the spectrum or the other. At one end you have a policy limit claim and I know the claim that you're talking about where you have 30 or 40,000 dollars in expert we'll call it diagnostics and investigations and reports and all these things, but you're at limits. So so what the f- what the, you know, fill in the blank versus on the complete opposite end of the spectrum where maybe, maybe it's a storm claim or something, you know, equally as basic. And, you know, somebody's spending four hours running a Matterport. It's not the fucking carrier, right? Right. It's, it's either the contractor or the public adjuster or somebody, or maybe, maybe the homeowner hires a real estate agent to come out or who the hell knows or a hover report, or something as simple as a hygienist because the homeowner doesn't feel good. And they're like, man, I think I have some sort of microbial growth growing on. I want to get somebody out here. And $900 later, the carrier doesn't want to pay for it. So I want to yeah, go ahead and finish your thought. It's I, didn't, just, I didn't mean to cut you off there. No, no, you're good. I, I did it to you three times in the last round, but it's like, when it comes to documenting a claim and investigating a loss, insofar as we're talking about cost allocation and who owes for what when, um, while I think the policy is pretty clear, I think in practice it's uh, extremely inconsistent. And so what I would urge anyone listening to do, whether you're a homeowner, contractor, public adjuster, and I wrote this down before we started the podcast, is slow slow down. Just slow just, just take a beat. I think take that's a the takeaway right there is slow. Yeah, I think that that's the takeaway there. While the policy does say provide us with records, documents, and other information we may request, and permit us to make copies, I want to be clear. While it's it doesn't specifically say, I would think it would be documents and records that existed prior to the loss that help confirm things like ownership and confirm things like its existence, those kinds of things that you actually had this and you actually purchased it or it was actually gifted to you or whatever the case may be. This is not to conduct their investigation for them. Do you know what I mean? I I don't, I think we have to cooperate it. I cooperate with them and I'll get into that a little bit later, but these are things that exist prior that help substantiate what you're doing. Okay. Um, And I'm going to get more into this as far as the substantiating in it, because round two is, um, is is coming up and we're going to talk about a little bit about estimating in that, in that round there and how we obtain those numbers. But Brent, do you have any final thoughts on round one that you wanted to get out before we move on? I say we move round two to round three 
and talk about cooperation with the carrier and substantiation of documentation. I, I concur. That's okay with me. That's yeah. all right with me. We can, we can make, we can make that hot change. Cause yeah, I could, cause I, I like the way this is going and substantiating documentation versus the, 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 the catch 22 that contractors, public adjusters, homeowners that we all run into is like, okay, so if we want to cooperate with the carrier, this is going to be my closing thought and then we can parlay it. But if we want to cooperate with the carrier, well, do we want them to send out their hygienist or do we want to hire our own? Cause that's the catch. That's the rub. That's where the rubber meets the road. That's where, that's where we all get butt hurt because the second that we suggest, Hey, we need this specialist or that the carrier goes, Oh, well you can hire whoever you want, but we're going to send out our guy. Well, and I think that that's one thing that we will get into in round two. That's but right. These are, these are all <laughs> things when it comes into the investigation. And, and so final thoughts there while we get into the cooperation of things in round two, I you just kind of take a beat and slow. I think the idea here is to slow down and let's see what the carrier is going to require. And, and we were trying to perform the duties after a loss. And before we just do something, maybe make them requested, I think is a good idea. We're going to get into uh, cooperation with the carrier in round two because it starts right after this. One of the most difficult claims you can work is a contents claim. It requires extreme detail and significant documentation. Ricky McGregor with Monarch Claim Services is the expert you need on your side. She will handle on-site evaluation, inventory, photo documentation, pricing, and overall contents claim organization. She will work with your team beginning to end so you can focus on the rest of the claim. Do your client a favor and call Ricky McGregor with Monarch Claim Services. You can reach her at 515-783-1434. That's 515-783-1434 or find her on the web at monarchclaimservices.com. Round two, cooperation. So cooperating with the carriers sometimes, I mean, I, I think it's like spend, sometimes I think when they define cooperation is incur whatever cost is required for us to extend coverage for this loss, no matter how much it costs, no matter what you've got to do, because we're going to keep changing the rules on what's actually required, which I think and find, to be honest with you, extra contractual and if they are requiring any sort of hygienist or anything like that um if they're going to require it i think we should have a say so and who gets hired to help substantiate it because basically anytime that they're doing it it's not because they have an eye towards coverage it's because they're looking for plausible plausible deniability of the claim and that's not investigating the loss that's looking for a way to wiggle out of it and I think that that is by and large the biggest difference there, which is why I've made the mistake in claims handling a lot of times that I go ahead and get my own people out there. But I have found that even now it's it's proving to be fruitless, which is why I kind of said when they're going to send those people out, because the only way for you not to incur that cost, whether it's an engineer or whether it's a hygienist or whether it's, you know, somebody assessing electron, whatever the case may be, whatever expert assessment has to be there. I think vetting those people that they send out and realize making them understand these are the damages that we're claiming and here's why. And I can get into specifics on that, whether you want to talk about engineering or hygienist or whatever the case may be. The, the, but those are my thoughts on, oh, dude, Jeremy, you, you fuck it. Sorry. God, 
Sorry, Donna. <laughs> I knew I wasn't going to be able to make it through a whole episode without saying it. Um, Glad to have you back. <laughs> uh, I miss you guys so much. Jeremy, you just hit the nail on the head, dude. It's like you, you run in this, like, this, this fork in the road. It's like, who pays? Right? We need it. Oh, and by the way, uh, I guess a quasi-pro tip. The carrier's never going to tell you that, hey, this is a structural loss. Mr. Contractor, you should get an engineer out there. They're never going to say that. They're going to come out and write up some bullshit and hope that you go with it. And I don't know how many homeowners, if any, listen to this podcast. But by the way, the carrier's never going to tell you what you need, right? So what happens is we being the people that do this every day, contractors, PAs, et cetera, we're like, hey, we're going to need a structural engineer. We got a guy or we, you know, we work with blah, blah, blah. And the carrier usually goes, ah, well, we'll just send out our guy. And then that's the, that's the, that's the fork in the road. Do we just go with the flow and let them pay for it? Or do we go incur a, you know, $1,500, $2,000, $3,000 cost for an engineer and drawings, right? Well, my answer to that is so dumb and uninformative, but it's effective if you read between the lines. When the carrier wants to do that, ask why. Why your guy, not mine? Whose whose responsibility is it to prove the loss? Are you guys trying to prove it? You want the homeowner to do it? And there's about a hundred questions that go along with that. But it's like, hey, if you don't mind me asking, why your guy, not mine? Why your hygienist, not mine? Why your MIT contractor, not mine? Why your contractor, not mine? What Why are you- a hygienist at all? Why an engineer at all? Is there something that's missing here? Because it's clear to me the only reason that you want to send this guy out is so that you have a reason to not pay the claim because you're looking for something. Well, you're looking for something. What's wrong with the documentation I've provided you? Bingo, which leads to another question. It's like, what, what are we missing? Now, granted, you can send out, at least with history as my witness, you can send out whoever the hell you want to and quote unquote investigate the loss as reasonably and often as you deem necessary. But you want to send out an engineer on a wind claim. You want to send out your own mitigation contractor on a house that's already been mitigated. What exactly are we looking to get accomplished? And these are questions that I think homeowners should be asking carriers all day. These are questions that PAs and contractors should be asking all day. These aren't policy questions. These are just practical freaking questions. What what are we looking to establish here that hasn't already been established? And anyway, the um, the other thing I wrote down with cooperation is whether you're the it's a, we don't need to qualify that anymore. It doesn't matter what role you're in. You need to know your narrative. And when you when when they do send out their their person whoever it is, their specialist, their, their ladder person, their engineer, their first question you should be asking is, Hey, um, nice to meet you. What, what are you here to accomplish today? It's a great question. I've asked that question about a hundred times. Hey, what, you know, I'm so-and-so I'm the contractor. I'm the PA. I'm the homeowner. I'm, I'm the neighbor. What are you, what are you here to get accomplished today? And what I've learned is that whether I'm talking to a ladder guy, 
a MIT contractor, a preferred contractor, an engineer? When I ask that question, the answers are stumbling. That's an opportunity for you to set the narrative straight with that particular person that the insurance company decided that they're going to send out to try to throw a smoke screen up in the middle of your claim. What are you here to accomplish? Or you can put it in your own words if you don't like mine. Why are you here? What was your work order? I see that you're an engineer. That's awesome. This is a wing claim. What they send you out here for? We asked. We asked all. Uh, we asked insert insurance company. They didn't tell us. See what they say. Right. Yeah. See what I, they I say. Completely agree with that. So as it pertains to cooperating I, with the carrier, they can send out whoever the hell they want, and they do. But well, yeah, and they do. But here's the thing: it's it's like in this particular policy that I'm looking at, which is is from a from a nationally known carrier, you know. And I realize that the language on some of these may change from state to state. You know what I mean? But this one, I'm particularly the one that I'm looking at says this under the proof of loss section, where it kind of outlines it. Send us within 60 days of our request your signed swarm um, statement showing these 10 things basically and one of the things that it says here is all information we request to investigate the claim <laughs> and so sorry keep going <laughs> now now it doesn't say at our expense it just says <laughs> that it's our job to do it and so you sending out your own guy seems to be in, in conflict with what the policy says. It's sort of like, we need an engineer's report. Okay, well, that's fine. We'll get you an engineer's report. I mean, do you understand what I'm saying, Brandon? That's oh, the thing that we were yes. kind of, yes. that's the thing that we were alluding to at the end of round one. It's sort of like, wait a minute. It doesn't, you don't have the right to go get a guy. What you're saying is, is you need an engineering report in order to investigate the claim and that we've got to go find an engineer, just like we have to go find a contractor, just like we have to go yeah. find a contractor in order to do the work. I mean, this all falls under sort of our responsibility, which I'm okay with, but these claim expenses that are attached to this, because the engineer's not going to come out for free, should not come out of the coverage. It should come out of the claim expenses because it doesn't, because it's not part of the lost settlement. It's part of your investigation that you're requiring in order to extend coverage. Because, and if anything, it should be 100% subject, subject to the deductible if, in fact, it does come out of coverage. And so when we go and get these, when we have to get these investigative reports that this policy clearly states that we're to provide all information that they need to investigate the claim. Like I'm reading this word for word, you know, and, and that, and I think that that all information we request to investigate the claim. And so that could fall under the photos and all of the different things that I was talking about at the beginning of the claim. But at some level, I think we should wait on the request and put the burden of the investigation back on, you know, I mean, we're, we're asserting a claim. We're fulfilling the duties after a loss. And I'm not saying don't send in pictures. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, is that the policy doesn't specifically state send in. In photographs 
And I can give you some protocol on that if you would like more information on what I think your photo should look like. But in that being said, it doesn't specifically state that. It's a very broad request when it comes to information. And and I also believe that that it's information that you should possess without a cost and anything that and it's again any all information we request to investigate the claim should be something that's readily available to you and an engineer's report is not readily available to you is the other thing that i could argue but the problem is is it doesn't say readily available it says all the information we request to investigate the claim you know not every claim needs an engineer and you're going to call up an engineer firm and you're going to request that they go out and investigate this claim to determine causation. I mean, causation and repairability is certainly part of an investigation and that's what it falls under. And I know that not every carrier, I mean, but these are things that you need. And the point is, is these are questions that you need to be asking that desk adjuster that is going to hold him to task at a level when they say, we're going to send out a hygienist or we're going to send out this person or that person understand that there is a level of say so while we've got to cooperate with it it's like i'm fine with an engineer coming out you send me your list i'll send you mine and we'll see if we can agree on somebody you know and i and i said that years ago you know and and i think that there is some level of we're not just going to let you go hire the guy that comes back with with the words that you want in fact i was uh i was at an apa thing uh two weeks ago and uh, John Hotelling was speaking. And um, I don't know how long it's been, Brent, but it's not been very long for me that U.S. Forensics has come out as one of the engineering firms that have come out. And for those of you who don't know, and the reason I'm bringing up their name specifically is they were the ones that were involved in the Hurricane Sandy um, scandal, so to speak, where they were found to be fraudulently producing engineers' reports. And John Hotelling, who was one of the founders of the APA, basically said this. He goes, if they ever tried to send that out to me, I would say, are you incompetent or negligent? You know, because you're basically sending out a company that has been convicted of fraud to come investigate my claim. Why would I ever trust them? And so it is unreasonable to send somebody that's absolutely been convicted of fraud in their entire and because we're going on their word, or at least most of the engineers' reports I've read have zero scientific value to them, and they're 100% just somebody's opinion based on a, a cursory overview of the property. And so I think that we've got some say-so here, and I think that those expenses should be covered. Soapbox done. <laughs> well, I, I, I don't disagree. Now... Let's get, let's, I mean, we, we have two minutes left in this particular round and I'm about to, open God, a, quick. I'm about to open a can of worms that we're, we're going to need far more than two minutes to do. So I'm done qualifying. The bottom line is why, why do we do what we do? And my answer is because we kind of do a cost benefit analysis on, and it's the cost benefit analysis seldom plays out in my opinion, but it's like we go along to get along, right? And right, we we whether again, it doesn't matter what side of the fence you're on or what your role is, but there's some part of us that believes that, hey, if if we play nice in the sandbox and we do this and we do that, somehow or another, maybe it'll it'll help render a more favorable outcome. 
versus just fighting tooth and nail and, and being an ideologue about certain things that frankly is a, as public adjusters or contractors and homeowners who we're, we're not even fucking sorry, Donna, that, you know, we're not qualified to argue. And it's sure. like, you know, we're, we're, we're inclined to like want to have these legal arguments about things that we're not licensed to really chat about. So with all that being said, um, I think that's why we do what we do. I think that's why we follow the breadcrumbs. I think that's why we play the carriers game. And I'll end with slow down, take a chill pill and start asking more questions and stop jumping when they tell you to jump. Stop asking how high and start asking why. That's what I, I agree say. with. It. That's I what think, I would I think say. That that's, I think that's the important thing is because, you know, each claim kind of has its own DNA and anybody yes. that's worked claims for any, yes. any specific amount of time. I mean, whether it's your first week or whether it's your, or your, your, your 100th week or your 1000th year of working claims, I don't care if you work Noah's flood claim. I am telling you that, that they all kind of have their own way that they bump and hum along the way. You know what I mean? And they're going to have their own nuance as an independent adjuster. I would tell you that every house that I walked in had its one little messed up thing about it that you could never explain or you know it was going to it's the thing that makes this thing different and not the same as always and so I, you know you've got it you've got to realize that some of these things and I think Brent is really right in that and and I think that that's one of the things sort of when you get involved in a claim you know, a, you know, a preliminary conversation with the desk adjuster where you're kind of lining out some of these things and sort of trying to find out where they are, I think because you can get ahead of it because is, is it your intention to indemnify this claim or is it your intention to disqualify it? You know, and when they tell you that, oh, no, we're here to cover the claim, we want to cover the claim for sure. You know, and it's like at what level of it, because anybody that's outside of my expertise or your expertise, we're going to have to come together in some kind of collaboration. And I would set the stage of that, you know, earlier rather than later. And that's just sort of my takeaway on this is slow down a little bit. And as they need additional information, then 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 we're going to then insert yourself on how to be a part of that now they may pick the guy that comes out for sure but i would i would vet them i would take them through a vetting process and it's like hey what are your instructions just like brent said what are your instructions what are you trying to accomplish i'm happy to meet you out there i'm happy to make the property available to you but what are you looking at doing so um that'll do it for round two um cooperation and sometimes it just it's like I mean, dealing with them cooperatively, you just wish at some level that they would cooperate with the claims process and quit changing the rules in the middle of it, because that's kind of what it feels like, right? But we're going to get into some of the documentation that we have to provide in estimating in round three, because it starts right after this. When choosing someone to help with your online marketing, make sure you go with someone that has years of experience. Our good friend Sally at Thrive has over 20 years of digital marketing experience. She can build you a beautiful 15-page sleek, interactive website, post on your social media platforms multiple times a week. She can do a video, an amazing CRM to manage 
and uh, maintain and nurture your clients, text, email marketing, review generation, a business listing on 60 plus search engines, including three voice networks, appointment scheduling, estimates, invoices, payment processing, and more. She will also create for you on uh, on Google, a Facebook page, in Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. If you need these for your businesses, she'll, she'll help you create those pages on all of those sites. If you already have these pages, she'll optimize them for you as well. Call or message Sally today. If you want to get started, you can reach her at 214-789-1651. Again, her name is Sally Brigance. Her number is 214-789-1651. And uh, you'll also get a landing page the day you sign up. When you send her a referral that signs up with her, she'll credit your billing account. Logos are also available. Um, and she also offers a lead generation service to SEO, search engine optimization, where she can uh, guarantee you to appear on the first page of Google or your money back. It is spelled T-H-R-Y-B. And you can find my good friend Sally Brigance, and that's spelled S-A-L-L-I-E, Brigance, B-R-I-G-A-N-C-E. And she can be reached once again at 214-789-1651. Round three, estimating. Now, one of the things that is clearly in the duties after the loss is to provide an estimate. And we have discussed this ad nauseum, right? The carrier always comes up with their own estimate, often because they're out there ahead of time. And the one main reason that they want to do it, there's nothing wrong with getting a good run and start at what we think this thing is going to cost and setting reserves. And there's a lot of reasons that a carrier may have to want to preliminarily estimate the loss, but it's really for their own records and doesn't have any bearing absolutely on the outcome of it. Because again, I go back to the duties after a loss where it specifically requires you to obtain something to substantiate the value of the loss and the way that they put it is something along the lines of this. Um, Let me see here. Receipts and records. No, a stolen list of stolen. No, specifications, detail. Yeah, specifications and detailed repair estimates of any damaged structure. Specifications and detailed repair estimates of any damaged structure structure. So are you asking me to provide that just so you can go, no, it don't cost that much. I mean, is that what you're trying to do is basically try to convince me that everybody that I've gone out and talked to is going to tell me that it just so that you can tell me that it costs less or you can go, well, we had our independent adjuster go out there and he came back with $22,000 and there's no way this thing costs $60,000. And it's like, I, I am so sick of, of them defending a guy that literally has no experience or authority in the estimate that he wrote. I appreciate that he sat in a class for, you know, a week or so and learned how to run a piece of software called Xactimate and knows how to enter some line item numbers that spit out a number that he has no idea how they got there. And he wouldn't know, you know, ship lap from hardy board to, to vinyl siding if it fell on his face and wiggled. You know, and so, I mean, there's there's some of there's some of this and I have seen some some gross material misidentification because these guys, it's not what they do. 
And I don't really expect them to do that. What I do expect them to do is is rely on the specifications and detailed repair estimates that you're requiring homeowners to go and get. You know, and that is one of the things that I that I push so hard is like, look, if you're asking me to do this, why are you not looking at it? And so that is something that you definitely need to work on providing. And sometimes some of the documentation, whether it's photos or Matterports, eye guides, you know, talking to contractors and Eagle Views and all of those kinds of things to get those specifications. That's something that's required. You know, I mean, again, while they may not specifically owe for that, but anything that would be, you know, excessive, I think would need to be covered under some claim expenses, which is not a clause in most policies. I have seen it in a few, you know, where there's claim expenses of anything that they require. But basically, if it's not sitting on your kitchen table or you have ready access to it, then and it requires an expense to go and get it i think because they require it then it's a fee that should be covered under their requirement you know otherwise it's sort of your best your best information that you have on hand well in a parallel universe my question would be i'm required to do this so are you going to pay my contractor to come out here and perform this service the service being coming out and spending X amount of time to produce this report and provide this estimate that apparently I'm required to produce. Now, problem is that's great in theory, but there are few homeowners that are ever going to ask that question. When the insurance company tells them, hey, you know, go get three bids, that's what they do. They call three contractors, shake them down, ask whatever questions they ask how you do and keep it moving. And that's, that's all they wrote. And then <clears throat> the homeowner submits their quote unquote three bids. And, and then the insurance company writes an estimate for, <laughs> you know, <laughs> whatever, whatever the hell they want. Yeah. Whatever, whatever the fuck they Sorry, Donna, but whatever they, no yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know, you call three contractors that happen not to use Xactimate and the homeowner turns in three quote unquote retail bids. And then the adjuster responds to the homeowner with 97 questions that the homeowner has no clue on God's green earth. What the hell insert insurance companies even talking about. Right. There, the, the line between theory and practice is, is really, it's a real, it's a, it's a tough one. And my, my approach as a public adjuster is not going to be very beneficial to many contractors, but I'll try to summarize it in five sentences or less. I'm not an expert in any of this shit. <laughs> right. So whether I go get my Xactimate one, two, or three, not one day of my life have I been a licensed, insured, and bonded contractor. Not one project in my life have I ever installed a roof, you know, rebuilt a kitchen. I I don't give a shit how many credentials you have. As far as I'm concerned, you're just not qualified to write an estimate. And there's a whole lot of public adjusters out there that would scream at me. 
I don't dictate a contractor's yeah. price. I don't dictate contractor pricing any more than the, the insurance company does. So does my firm produce scopes for losses? Yes. It's our job to help the insured, you know, prove their loss. And oftentimes producing a, a detailed estimate is, is it falls in that, in that job responsibility, but I don't write them. And insofar as they're not going to pay it, I, I urge my homeowners all the time to get bids, you know, but the reason I even bring that up is because when an adjuster wants to tell me that they're not going to pay for this or they're not going to pay for that or they this is unreasonable or that, whatever it is, it's like, dude, who are you? You are literally no different than me. In the sense that you don't do this shit for a living. If you did, you wouldn't be wearing the polo that you wear. So shut up. You guys don't play these games on auto claims. And when you do, the mechanic that the homeowner hires rips your guys' heads off. Because they don't need licenses. To, they don't need mechanics, at least in the state of Maryland. They don't need a license. Yupa's not a thing. But it's like, you wouldn't tell a mechanic what does or doesn't need to be done based off of facts or code or whatever. I, I don't know the vernacular, but that's where I go with the estimating thing. I urge contractors to take their power back, write their own estimates, detail their stuff and make sure that they can, they don't need to write a dissertation, but make sure that they can explain why they're suggesting the protocol that they're suggesting. They are the expert, not me, not me. And as it well, pertains to, as it pertains think, to every carrier adjuster out there that's writing estimates based on cafeteria guidelines, it's like, since when? Do you call your dentist to figure out how to get your car fixed? Do you call your auto mechanic to figure out what you need to do to get your you know your your in ground pool fixed? Fuck no, sorry Donna again, but no, you, you just don't do it. I don't call State Farm to figure out what needs to happen to my roof. I call a roofer. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's so counterintuitive and yet it doesn't matter what side you're of the fence you're on. You talk to people every day that speak to you with supreme confidence about what does or doesn't need to happen or what should or shouldn't happen or what in, or what is or isn't covered. <laughs> right? <laughs> and most of most of the, in in every circumstance, these people aren't even licensed to talk about what they're talking about. <laughs> Most of well, the adjusters we point. talk to don't don't have licenses, right? And I'm I'm it's gonna just, throw, I'm gonna throw a wrinkle in this when it asks for the specifications and detailed repair estimates. The idea there is is are you including something in your repair that would would not be covered? You know what I mean? Is this item thing? So if in your repair estimate it's to fix the crack in the foundation kind of thing that that's why they're looking. That's why the detail. I mean, like the policy, the in the purity of the policy, the policy is good. You know what I mean? It is. I mean, yep. while it is one paragraph yep. of a promise and 86 pages of why we're not going to keep it, 
when when you're trying to hold their feet to the flame on 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 why on what it is that's required, I understand that there are going to be some things that are claimed within an estimate that are possibly not covered. But even Exactimate will tell you go talk to a contractor because the actual cost of fixing this is going to be determined by a contractor. We in no way endorse that we're the end all be all, and Exactimate themselves will tell you that. You know, and and at a level, you know, it's like, hey, I mean, one of the things that I've been doing is I'll just send in the scope of work that I've written in Xactimate and they'll go, well, there's no there's no price on this. And I'm like, well, yeah, I know there's no price on it, because what I'm trying to do is determine what is covered. You know, are the floors covered? Are you going to open up coverage on the floor? And once you tell me, yeah, this scope looks good and this these damages are covered, I will then go to a contractor per the guidelines of the policy and go get you a price for what it actually is covered. Now, whether or not you want to pay that price, that's a conversation for a different day, which would then lead us into the appraisal. But at least we're headed we're headed on the same path when it determines scope. You know what I mean? And so when I turn in a scope to have the entire roof replaced, we're having a coverage conversation at that point and not a cost conversation because I guarantee you the majority of the adjusters that I talk to on the carrier side are comparing their bottom line number to my bottom line number to determine whether or not it's warranted. And there is, and they're not looking at all of the other things that go into that, whether it's supervision hours or contractors overhead and profit or all of these other things that are legitimate charges for people that are performing a service or a job for which they get paid for you know that that money's got to come from somewhere and it comes from the consumer and the consumer gets the money to pay this from the insurance company that they paid premium to it's a very simple chain of events when you look at it and the idea here behind the policy is is that we don't really want to have a say so in the value of it we do want to have a say so in the investigation and of the coverage that's available underneath this policy because if you've got a metal marring exclusion on there and the and the contractor goes in and he writes for the damages and he sees a bunch of bunch of beat up hail damaged gutters they're going to go yeah well the policy doesn't cover this so i have a problem with your gutter scope here cuz we're not going to be able to cover that and you redline that you redline that scope with the things that aren't covered that's why it's got to be detailed and then once we come to an agreed scope then i'm going to go get you a price then I'm going to go get you a price and I'm going to provide you with with something that looks like an accurate estimate based on what we know today prior to the work beginning. And that's the idea. And the wrinkle that I want to throw in here is one of the things like when we're dealing with content, when when people have a water loss or a fire loss, everybody wants to go right down, you know, the the coffee table and the and and the couch and the and the TV on the wall and all of that kind of stuff. The thing that they're not looking at is all of the stuff that was in the junk junk drawer. You know what I mean? The paper clips and post-it notes of everything that was also damaged that they also owned that also had value. You know, they're not gonna ask to replace the picture that was in the picture frame. Often the only thing that they list is the picture frame because they don't think the picture is replaceable or has any kind of value when in fact it does. And that's why when we call contractors to get estimates to repair our house is because they're thinking about issues that we don't know to think about. And I would say the same with a contents adjuster or a content specialist. They're thinking about things that that we're not thinking about. 
you may look at a a plunger that's sitting next to the toilet that has no apparent damage or the little bit of damage is it can be cleaned off now the question is with that content specialist they're going to look at that plunger and go is it is it smarter to just replace this thing rather than it is to send it through the cleaning and the storage and the packing and all of that kind of stuff. Cause you're about to spend $13 on cleaning, wrapping, storage, packing, transporting for a $1 plunger. What is the point of that? And some of that expertise and understanding that, but they won't pay for an inventory specialist to come in and do that. That's something that they say is the, the insured's responsibility. And, and I, you know, that's what I would tell you is that some of these duties after the loss, and that's what I'm saying is it's like, if you make them request these things that are outside the duties after a loss, it's like, why are you requesting this? I'm happy to give it to you. I just want to know what provision underneath the policy makes you ask me for this. And when they can't point to something and there's a cost associated with it, Often you can get these little things covered. Well, we'll cover the cost of the engineer. Well, wait a minute. I understand that you want to send out an engineer. What is the information that you're needing to get to determine? Because we want to get the right person out there, right? So most engineers <laughs> cannot tell you one way or the other whether or not a shingle is repairable. Why are you sending out the engineer? Because I want to say so. Because everybody just wants to bow down or acquiesce to an engineer that... I mean, I'm not aware of any sort of course catalog that involves the repairability of freaking shingles. You so, know what I'm saying? And, can and I send those? Go can ahead. I I'm please? Gonna, can I please weigh in on that? Yeah. When you uh, when how many claims? And who knows the answer? It's sort of rhetorical. But how many claims does an engineer get sent out on in the in the context of like a partial approval? So. Mr. or Mrs. Homeowner, go go repair insert number of shingles. And then the homeowner or somebody fights it, fights it, fights it. Well, we're going to send out an engineer. Well, is an engineer even licensed to determine that protocol as it pertains to roofing? Good it's, question. Are they? Are they? Most of the time, no. Most of the time, no. Let's I get mean, a real expert out there. Yeah, I mean, who? Who? Again, do do you call your dentist to figure out what's wrong with your car? Do you call your mechanic to figure out what's wrong with your colon? Like, why am right. I calling an engineer for a roofing matter? Right. It's sort of rhetorical, but it's a question worth asking. I completely agree that if you, why are we calling out people? I mean, I think it would be reasonable. It's like, well, who's the manufacturer of that shingle? Let's yeah, let's call them out. Yeah. Yeah. Let's call those guys out and tell me whether the manufacturer of the shingle believes that this, that this roofing system is repairable. In fact, it talks about warranties or anything else that may cover, that may cover this. That's in the duties after the loss too. When they ask you if there's other insurance involved. But I mean, that's all that's all within there. That's all in there. And and maybe if you're wanting to under the duties after a loss is see if you can get a shingle rep out there to make a determination on whether or not those shingles are repairable, especially if you can identify the brand of shingle that's on there. I think that there are things that we can do that are smarter than the conventional thing that we think that the carrier wants that will take to take it to get approved. 
We have got to shift our thinking, guys. The point of this entire show is we are going to have to shift our thinking and our attack and how we go about getting these claims approved. And the best way to go back to that is go back to the basics of the duties after the loss and provide the information that it requires and leave it to them to, if they're not directly refuting it, that's part of their investigation is to actually go out and see if the the, the information you provided appears to be accurate and they should have an eye towards coverage. That's the idea. It should not be something that they're going out to go, well, we've got to figure out a way to disqualify this. This looks really good to us. And so we're going to have to find somebody that agrees with the narrative that doesn't make us pay. And so that's all I got on this one. Final thoughts, Brent. Yeah, but we can wrap her up. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, I don't. I don't want to. I don't. I don't want to turn this into a three-hour episode. Donald, kill us. <laughs> Well, hopefully Brent will come back and as we unpack this and maybe apply some of these things that we've learned, guys, if you try some of this stuff, please come back and let us know that it was awesome, that it worked, it was amazing, or that it was a load of crap and nobody <laughs> and nobody uh, nobody listens to a thing they say. I want to know one way or the other because these are just kind of things that are bouncing around in my head. But um, if you like this episode, you know somebody that needs to hear it, please take some time and share this episode with that person. Um, if you have not had the opportunity, please pr pr press like and subscribe. Um, we're looking for more subscribers on the YouTube. And if you're looking for a place to promote your service, please reach out to us because we're happy to include you in our sponsorship package. But um, for now, we will be back next week. And in the meantime, stay ready so you don't have to get ready. And we will see you on the next one. I won't start it, but I damn sure won't finish it.